what does it mean to romanticize your life? And should you do that? We discuss this and more with special returning guest Kelia Clarkson on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people, thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, romantic realist, and with me as always is my exhaustingly enchanting co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and you actually stole mine. This is the very first use. I was going to literally say romantic realist. So do you know what? We're just both romantic realists and everyone's going to have to deal with only one descriptor for two people today. There can be only one! You know what? I think they'll survive. And then if not, then we'll, you know, we'll go all Highlander and like one of us will die. It's it's great. Um, we'll try harder next time so that doesn't happen. We can both we, live. We don't actually coordinate these beforehand. So, you know, it's actually, you know, pretty interesting. We've never come up with the same ones before. It's uh, super hard to tell, but we are not like a, <laughs> a super organized <laughs> podcast. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> we try. We try. Um, anyway, Willis... Today, again, is a very special returning guest. She is an actress who's appeared in dozens of popular film and television productions, a prolific writer with hundreds of articles on relationships, lifestyle, women's issues, and numerous notable outlets. She's also the host of the podcast Dear Wallflower and the editor-in-chief of the online magazine The Wallflower Journal, a place for women with deep inner worlds. I like that. She just released a 100-day guided journal called The Wallflower Journal that seeks to help guide the woman who desires to deepen her inner world through the art of introspective journaling, available wherever books are sold. But most notably, and I have been told to say this by my co-host, I want everyone to say, no, most notably, she is the wife of my co-host, Nathan Clarkson. She is. We're very sorry for your marriage. (laughs) Yes. She is the queen of creativity, the empress of insight. The star of sophistication, Kelia Clarkson. Kelia, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was by far the best intro I've gotten on this show. They just keep getting better and better. Are you changing things up? There weren't enough alliterations in there. Yeah. Are we trying something new for the new after, year? After like, I don't know how many times we've had her on. I've run out of K <laughs> adjectives. Kind of, really the only one. I've run out of cool. C ones. <laughs> I've gone into cool. I've gone into C. Crazy. You know, you know that, there, there's, there's a lot of if I want to start going into like, you know, uh, arguable and and, and uh, get me in trouble territory. There are definitely see what's like conflicted. So I'm now going into creative space. That's how much we love having Kelia on our show. Creative. Consequential. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you know, you want to do this? You want, you want to do this part of it? <laughs> but no, we've gotten so many that we now have to get creative with the uh, with the uh, compliments the uh, that we do with our guests on the show. So, congratulations, Kelia. You are a a beloved uh, longtime returning guest. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor to be at that level on this show. It certainly is. And I will say, my most notable achievement. My husband is right is that I am married to Nathan Clarkson. That's right. (laughs) You're married to an incredibly successful co-host of a podcast. So count your blessings. 50% of the Overthinkers co-hosts. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Also, I have to compliment you on the creativity with which you name uh, your your projects, your your online magazine and your your uh, podcast and your your journal. 
Uh, yeah, there's a thread if you if you notice. <laughs> Got to yes. keep the strong branding. Should we yeah. do, should we do the Overthinkers Journal guided journal? Yeah, absolutely. We, could. Yes. we actually yeah. could. Well, everybody, keep keep an eye out. We might have that one of these days. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we'll have it. We'll have a ghost written by somebody else and then take all the credit. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> there's no way we're going to. We're super lazy. <laughs> yes. uh, well, anyway, um, this is really fun. Love having you on, Kelia. And uh, for our this episode, we're having you on. Very excited for this topic. We're going to be discussing whether we should all be romanticizing our lives. Just really fun thing on uh, in, our, in the interwebs today. But first, Nathan. If people enjoy our discussion and want to engage with more of our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.world or they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also go to our online group on Facebook, it's a private group called the Overthinkers, where you can connect with other overthinkers like yourselves who are getting into great discussions, talking about all the fun topics we talk about here and sharing all of their best intellectual memes. So head on over. We want you among our ranks. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review or sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. Cool. All right. Everybody ready to get started? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. During the pandemic, a new trend and phrase started on the internet called romanticize your life, which has be since become an ordinary part of the Gen Z lexicon. According to the New York Times, romanticize your life is a call to action to appreciate what we have right in front of us and to live with intention, no matter how mundane our daily rituals might be. A reminder to look for moments of beauty and embrace minimalism. According to Ms. Hess, a student from Pennsylvania, I want to make even the most mundane of days feel unique because they are what make up the majority of our lives, not the vacations or special events that happen once in a while. According to WikiHow, the concept of romanticizing your life is a trend about celebrating yourself and making even the most ordinary day feel extraordinary. For influencers on TikTok, this often means to soak in the morning sun, savoring a fresh croissant and spritz a lemon-scented perfume on a divet decorated with pink roses in rooms with cottagecore aesthetics inspired by Anna Green Gables or Jane Austen novels and the period drama Bridgerton, or using a rolling pin to press eucalyptic leaves before hanging them in their shower. Bose Harrington, wow. a friend of... Yeah, I know, right? Yes. That's a new one. <laughs> um, Bose Harrington, who's a, uh, a friend of a podcast of Sketches by Bose, sums up the philosophy by saying, Reenchant your life by making the mundane exciting. You're not going to CVS. You're visiting an apothecary to buy potions. You're not running an errand. You're doing a side quest. You're not feeding the birds. You are making an alliance with the Snow Queen. Uh, but some are some are worried that there might be harm in an excessive romanticizing of one's life, such as Cherry Kong writing why you should not romanticize your life for Medium.com. Critics worry that romanticizing your life will cause you to have a fantasy vision of your life rather than a realistic one which will cause you to make unwise decisions or to see unhealthy life situations with rose-colored glasses that you should endure rather than see them as toxic ones that you should change or abandon. So, Kelia, how would you describe the romanticized your life trend? What do you see as the reasons people are attracted to it? And what do you see as some of the potential dangers? Okay, so first, I want to say that I love this topic because I see it pop up on my For You page basically every time I open TikTok or Instagram. Um, and I think it's probably the the same story for a lot of women out there. And I think a lot of how you just described it does capture it really well. I think romanticizing your life is, in fact, all about, um, you know, choosing to see the purpose in the everyday, choosing to not view your waking hours as mundane or 
predictable, but as something beautiful to invest your full attention in. So it does involve homemade croissants, <laughs> as you mentioned, and frolicking in fields of flowers, if you were able to, and, you know, lighting many a candle. And I think this trend, interestingly, is interwoven with another really big trend that I've seen on social media. And that's kind of seeing yourself as a main character in your life. And I think they're interwoven because whether it's, you know, a book or, um, or a movie or a TV show, the protagonist's life matters. It is a romantic life, you know? And so every scene we see in a movie or every book, or I mean, every um, scene in a book that we read is a scene in that character's life that matters. And so the way that they live out their days is of interest to us. And um, they're, the scenes of their life aren't a waste. And I think that's really interwoven with the idea of romanticizing your life. And so I think some of the reasons that people might be attracted to this trend is I think there are a few different reasons. And I think first, it's not surprising that this popped up in the midst of a pandemic when people were essentially bound to the more mundane parts of their life. We weren't allowed to travel and go to parties and uh, do any of the kind of fun and big things that make life feel more meaningful, right? And so I think there was an element of being forced to pay attention to what our lives really looked like when they were stripped of everything, you know, kind of um, glamorous and outside of the home and, and exciting, right? Um, and so I do think that that was just a natural growth there, but I think there are a couple other reasons. I think the rise of social media could be another trigger for this trend because, you know, whether we're on Instagram or um, Pinterest or TikTok, we're constantly getting peeks into other people's lives. And often enough, those people are influencers with lives that feel infinitely more beautiful and meaningful than our own. And so we see what people have often called the highlight reel. And, and so we end up comparing the exterior appearance of someone else's life to the interior appearance of our own life. And so I think that created a, a kind of hunger to have a beautiful life um, that we see the influencers have, but the kind where, you know, something as simple as making an iced coffee or making the bed or doing our skincare routine feels worthy of being on our grid, you know, our Instagram grid, I mean. Um, another thing, I, I think this just simply speaks to a very human desire to just know that we matter and to know that all of the days of our lives, even the ones without the big adventures and the life-changing occurrences are meaningful and worthy. Um, so I think that's that that's my initial thoughts on like what gets people interested in this in this trend. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, this was I, I love what you say about how this happened in the pandemic when it felt very difficult to feel meaning in our lives. And, you know, as we've talked about multiple times on the show, one of the things that continues to get worse in a world that for the most part, believe it or not, is getting better is uh I can sum this up with depression, anxiety, nihilism, pretty much is how I'd sum this up. And I think a lot of that roots out of, um, even though we have technically most of us the things that we need, uh, water, food, computers, iPhones, our lives feel empty and meaningless. And, you know, there's this idea of, I think in the back of most people's minds is our mortality, um, that we're going to die someday. We have limited time. And if you look at what humans are drawn to, they're drawn to stories. They're drawn to um, great stories with uh 
uh, uh, great heroes who have great purposes. And I think that is a natural God-given thing to want to live, like you said, Kilia, in a in a life, in a story where we matter. And so I, and when it comes to romanticizing your life, I think that in a gentle way that many of us feel that our lives are, don't matter, that they're mundane, that they're um, blasé, that they are kind of invisible even. And so this idea, um, so I totally understand the idea of wanting to bring beauty and uh, even just aesthetic beauty and um, purpose and meaning into our lives through the art of seeing and recognizing the the beautiful parts of where you are currently. I think the danger is with this practice, I, and I and I'll talk more later about why I think this practice, how I think this practice can be good. Because I don't think it should we romanticize our lives or not. I think it's how should we? Because I think there is a really healthy way, and I think it comes out of a natural inclination that humans have. I think there's a healthy way to do this, and, and maybe even one that we should do. Um, but I also think there uh, this this idea of romanticizing your life. I think that there can be some pitfalls. So I think it's rather not so much should we do it or not, but how should we do it? And so, you know, one of the first things that I might say is a danger in the romanticizing your life thing is, you know, we talk, we've talked about this a million times. So as every other outlet and podcaster in the world, but um, there is this idea of romanticizing, not the life you have, but the one you wish you had. And so what people often do, I've seen who, who are doing this, when they say romanticize your life, what they really mean is romanticize a, someone else's life that you don't have. And they kind of start to to define what they think a romanticized, uh, beautiful, meaningful life looks like. And like you said, we are all looking at um, Instagram, particularly during the pandemic and Facebook, and we see a very curated, even not even just, you know, what they're posting, uh, the content of what they're posting, but also the the look of it. You know, um, if, if you go to my Instagram right now, you're going to get a very small small um glimpse into my life it, it is maybe two two percent of yeah. what my daily life is but that two percent is going to make my life look a million percent cooler than it actually is i'm going to post the the really cool things and um and what i've worried about is sometimes someone might see that and go oh his life is so cool no it's really not i live a pretty mundane normal life i sit on my couch a lot i work from home um, I wear, you know, sport shorts most days. I'm not, you know, doing crazy things, but the things I'm going to post on Instagram are going to be the coolest parts of my life. Um, and so the danger is that we can look at each other's lives and say, they're living a life that's worth living. They're living a beautiful life. They're living a full life, right? Um, when that's just qu not quite the reality. So there is this worry that in romanticizing your life, um, you're not actually looking at making your own life more beautiful, but you're actually looking to get someone else's life, yeah. uh, a life you don't have. And that, that's going to breed discontentment, I think. And I think it has. I think there's plenty of studies about how um, uh, social media and, quote, that kind of romanticizing of what a life should look like has bred discontentment and frustration um, in a lot of lives and, and, and hurt people. Um, and even more than that, just personally, if you are waiting for your life to be beautiful, if you say, I can only live a beautiful life if I get to travel to 10 countries every year, or if I get to live in a mansion, or if I get to, you know, in another quick side note is um, this, like you said, this is popping up in a lot of uh, women's feeds. So this is very popular within kind of the online women culture. But I think that men also have a romanticization of their lives as well. And we might not call it that, um, but, you know, you see the guys who are like, you know, I'll be happy if I get a Tesla, you know, then my life will feel cool and I can drive fast, and vroom, vroom. you know, I'll be uh, happy if I, you know, get big muscles or whatever it might be. You know, I think this is a natural human inclination um, that, uh, that everyone deals with. Um, 
but I do think there's this element where we can romanticize a life that someone else has, not us. The other negative thing that I, I have seen happen is we do have this natural inclination ability to romanticize things. And uh, very often we can romanticize toxic things. You know, the classic example is, oh, um, we, I'm not in an abusive relationship. I'm in a passionate relationship or uh, no, I'm not, a, I'm not addicted to working. I'm grinding to success or mm-hmm. no, I'm not an incredibly toxic person. I'm just quirky. Right. So we have this way of kind of romanticizing things that ought not to be romanticized. And I think, Joseph, you mentioned that in your opening statements that sometimes if you're not careful, you can make beautiful a thing that's ugly and that ugly thing will grow and remain when it ought to be expelled. Um, And so those are kind of the worries that I have in this trend about people romanticizing their life. One is breeding discontentment and romanticizing the life you don't have um, and having a definition of happiness or fulfillment that only lies outside of where you already are. The other is romanticizing ugly things to be beautiful, um, which will blind us from their their negative efficacy in our lives. So those are the kind of things I worry about. I will talk later about the, what what I believe is the right way to do this, a healthy way. Um, but Joseph, I want to hear your thoughts on one, where this came from, why why it really popped up right now, why this is so popular, um, and two, what are the what are the things first that you kind of worry about? Why don't we? Um, Kelia hasn't actually said the stuff that she's maybe worried about with this trend. So oh yeah, you worried let, about let, Kelia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you go first, and then I'll I'll go I'll go third. I'll I'll go third on that. That's it. okay. So I I do think that Nathan made a couple of really um, great points these are really really big things to be worried about first great points nathan yes thank you guys first always looking elsewhere for your definition of happiness i will be happy when this i'll be happy when that um and then the other side of it of course uh you know putting on these rose-colored glasses and a, a filter of beauty for things that are not good and beautiful and i think one last thing that i would add to that for kind of a negative side of this is when we're focusing too heavily on romanticizing our lives, we might um, end up fostering a disdain for the things or happenings or people that we feel disrupt this perfectly romanticized life that we've crafted. So as soon as our idea of what does a romanticized life look like comes into contact with reality and it doesn't quite match up the way that we really want it to Mm. then this person's out of my life they're toxic even if they're maybe not they're just imperfect or um you know i i need to quit my job i need to move here because it's not fulfilling me the way that well maybe you're not supposed to find that kind of fulfillment doing that maybe you can find fulfillment you know in other areas of your life so i think that would be the other last thing that i would add on top of that it's like um I can't remember what a TV show where a guy saves a thousands of dollars and gets this amazing couch, but doesn't want anyone to sit on it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, I was thinking about WandaVision, how you can kind of curate yes. a life and then try to control everyone so they don't disrupt your perfect life. So that's that's that's, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, that's that really makes sense. No, I think again, you guys have done a lot, said a lot that are really good things. One of the things I was thinking about, we talk about romanticizing your life. What's interesting is talk about where that comes from, romantic era. Romantic era was uh, in in history was a movement that was reacting against the Enlightenment because mm-hmm. the because prior to the Enlightenment, most of the world saw the world as fairly enchanted. 
it's like you know the trees yeah. had spirits they you know mm, gods yeah. you know the, the gods lived in the heavens and we were part of a cosmic story of good versus evil and life and death and enlightenment sort of strips that out of our human experience of seeing the whole world as sort of enchanted and magical and said no it's just raw stuff that you can turn into whatever you want it to be. And it's all dead. There is no life in it and there's no meaning and purpose in your life. And so romanticism re came out reacting against that and saying, no, actually the world is full of enchantment. We're going to reinterpret what that enchantment is now that we have new scientific understandings, but we're going to reinterpret it that way. And then people talk about C.S. Lewis and Tolkien in their fantasy writings. We're kind of trying to do the same thing of re-enchanting yeah. the world and our imagination of the world. And mm -hmm. because as Christians, they said, no, the world is to a certain degree enchanted because God made it and he loves us and we are part of this cosmic struggle of, of life and death and good versus evil. So our lives in reality really are romantic in a certain sense. And I think that you make, uh, so I think that in a sense, we're attracted to that because that's what humans were made for. We're made to feel like yeah. our ordinary lives are a part and I you can whether you not you believe in God or whether you not you just believe that evolutionarily for most of our history that's how we're built to see the world we're built to see the world in an enchanted or romantic way and yes. modernity has sort of stripped us of that and I mean you watch movies like American Beauty or Fight Club or things like that they're talking about I'm living an ordinary mundane life where my whole life is just consume work and die and that's not enough for me so mm -hmm. I have to find ways to re-inject uh, a kind of, uh, you know, beautifulness or heroic struggle into life. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, that's, you know, we associate romanticize your life with girls, but guys have their own version of doing this. Not only, yeah. of course, is it, you know, spending their life going to superhero movies and stuff like that, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm you, not going to stop. I'm not. You no, neither am I. <laughs> but like, you know, the online obsession, which is petered out somewhat, but with people like Jordan Peterson, who literally would say, when you clean your room, you're slaying the dragon of chaos. Yeah. Yep. Mm. There it is. That is, there is no other way to interpret that other than a romanticize your life monger. And guys ate yeah. that up, you know? And so that's, I think there is, you know, we're made to have a quote unquote romanticized life in a certain sense. You, like you said, the dangers I would, I, so one of the things I dangers are when you kind of, whether you're choosing between Nietzsche and Carl Jung in terms of how you're romanticizing your life, that's sort of how <laughs> I put it. Because I know that makes me sound super sophisticated, but I will explain. But Nietzsche basically believed meaning in life didn't exist, so you had to impose meaning Go, on yeah. life. And so, but Carl Ooh, Jung, I believe, it was, I believe it was Carl Jung, if, if it was not, then people can yell at me. And, um, but is that he said, basically, human beings don't have the time in their lives to create meaning. You have to discover meaning. That was young. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the the so the thing is, I think if you are, and this is more or less what you guys are saying, all right, but if you are trying to say there is no meaning in life, so I'm going to force meaning into this thing where it doesn't exist, that is a very mm -hmm. toxic way to do it because it will cause all the things you're talking about. It will not, your romanticization will not be in accordance with reality. So you're going to cause ugly things to be beautiful. You're going to cause you know, things you should change about your life and say, no, this is actually, you're going to try to control other people who don't fit the perfect world that yeah. you're creating. But if you actually take time to notice and observe and discover the meaning that actually does exist in the world, you can have both truth and beauty uh, in your life at the same time. So that's, so that we can go into that, but that's, but that's why I say the, the negative side is when you try to impose 
of fantasy or romanticism that doesn't actually exist there is where where you get the toxic versions. So I guess I would say now, Tequila, moving back to you, um, what would you say are, if we talked about like why people are attracted to it, so some of the positives about it, you know, what's, why we're attracted to it. We've talked about some of the, the potential dangers of doing it. Um, but mm-hmm. what would you say are what it looks like when it's positive and how to actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how in practical ways to do it in a positive way? Yeah, so what I want to say is overall, I do think that it is a positive thing to encourage people to romanticize their life. And I think it's a a really powerful thing to make the choice to see your life as beautiful and to embrace the whimsy and the joy that is already there for the taking. But I think what's most important is, and this kind of goes off of your last point, um, Joseph, of, you know, when you're trying to force um, romanticization into your life, what I think is the ultimately healthy way to approach this trend or her idea is to come at it from a place of trying to be content with with what you already have with mm. what you are already doing with what yeah. your life already looks like um and to see your normal life the yeah. things that you do every single day as ripe for um excitement and beauty and joy and so i think you know, when I think about the kind of practical ways that we can start to romanticize our life, um, it, to me, it, it, it's kind of like keep it very, you know, local to what you are already doing every mm-hmm. day. So if you, um, you know, let, let's say you wear your pajamas on, on Saturdays, like you sing your pajamas. Get silk pajamas. Get nice ones, you know? I'm going to do it. (laughs) Everything that you are already doing for yourself. um, Put a little bit of more, uh, put a little more time and effort into it. So if you make your coffee at home, why don't you get a nicer coffee or or, or mix some cinnamon in there or get a creamer that is kind of exciting for you? Um, if, if you, you know, have a skincare routine, why don't you add something a little bit extra and nice in there that mm. you will feel better about yourself? Why don't you take a little bit more time to um, spritz some nicer perfume on, even if you're just going to be at home? Mm. Why don't you, instead of, you know, buying rolls or something, why don't you try making it yourself? That could be kind of fun. So I think it comes down to really kind of easy and practical decisions that fit in and fold into the life that you already have. So everything that you're already doing, you can find a way to romanticize it. Yeah, I like that a lot. So essentially what I hear you saying is, listen, we all have to do mundane things and live in a normal life that doesn't feel fun or big or cool all the time. But why not try to inject a little bit of aesthetic beauty into that? So there actually is those that, that um, I say mental reaction to oh this is this can be nicer this can be something you enjoy there's can be beauty even in the, the the small things that take place in our lives i really like that you know it's interesting how uh, i think a big part of this is we get humans have this natural ability of getting immune to beauty yeah. um i'm currently right now i'm uh, in colorado i'm home um and but before i go back um to la and 
what I'm always surprised at is, you know, I lived here for many years before I moved away and, and we live right up against the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains are things that people spend, um, you know, you know a, a lifetime wishing to see. They see it in movies, they see it in postcards. They're one of those beautiful places in the world. And I remember how used to them I got. Yeah. I, and, you know, just a couple of weeks here, I stopped looking at them. I stopped looking at Pikes Peak and taking a breath uh, and going, oh, my goodness, look how beautiful that is. And, um, you know, the same thing happens whenever I leave a place for a while or I move away from somewhere. You know, when when I left New York um, not long ago and, and abandoned Joseph in the in the big city, um, <laughs> I'm getting over it slowly. <laughs> but, you know, at the time I was leaving, I, I was so used to it. You know, th this is the greatest city in the world. I mean, it has the greatest art and people and food and, and culture anywhere in the world. And I and I couldn't see that anymore. All I saw was the garbage on the streets. Um, it, it was loud and it was noisy. I was just ready to get out. And then all of a sudden I'm away from it for a while and I find myself missing it. Oh, yeah. but walking down those streets, but oh, going with my friends to, oh, seeing a play, oh, you know, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden I remember the beauty of it and uh, that I had previously gotten used to. And so I think when it comes to romanticizing your life, one of the one of the core elements of that is seeing the beauty while you're in it, choosing not to get used to the things. Um, so you don't always spend a life of just going, well, and I'll only be happy if I have something else. Um, it's choosing to see the, the beauty that's already in your life. And it, it is an act. It is a choice because we are we naturally, like I said, we get used to beauty. We get used to things. Um, I'll never get used to your beauty, Keely. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll get a ring. Oh, you do. Never mind. Yeah, we, we have an apartment. Yeah. Get a room, you two. We're in a room. Well, then lose some weight. But it is kind of interesting how we get used to these things and romanticizing your life isn't looking for another life. It's yeah. not it's not searching or wanting someone else's life and it's not trying to make ugly things beautiful. It's looking at the life you have. And choosing to find not just, you know, that kind of like a grit your teeth contentment, but a, you know what, there's beauty here, even in the small things. And that fosters in your soul a love for the life you're already living, which I promise you will give you more a greater sense of fulfillment and happiness right where you are. Um, so that's where I think that that romanticizing life can be beautiful is choosing to see the beauty that's already in your life. And it is a choice. It is a decision you have to make. Um, it's not a natural one per se, but it, I, I do think it has positive effects if you make that decision. Yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing you both say, and this is really fascinating, I, I'm, uh, is is you, particularly as what you mentioned, Kelia, towards the beginning, is that part of the 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 purpose of romanticizing your life is to actually treat your life as if it matters, because most wow. of your yes, life there is, it is. Yeah. most of your life is spent with the mundane things. And if most of your life is going to spent with the mundane things, that means most of your life, that's most of your life. And if those things don't matter, then you don't matter. But wow. if your yes. life yeah. really does matter, then it actually does matter, you know, what you're wearing when you are around the house, because that makes you feel better. It actually matters yes. to even if you're just making food for yourself to have it be something that you enjoy making, it looks nice to you. It yeah. if if your life, if your ordinary life actually matters, then treat it a little bit like a celebration, putting those extra efforts in because you put extra yeah. effort into things that matter. And so that I think if you decide that your life actually matters, treating it, it is it as if it does by putting extra effort of celebration of beauty into it is what you would do. So that's, I mean, there's a, uh, uh, Ellen Disanyake, who's an anthropologist who wrote the book, uh, What is Art For? One of the things she said is that 
um, is that art is the process of making something special. So mm. it's like you take a vase and then you put a flower on it and then it makes the vase, not just a vase. It makes it a special vase and it makes then the flower something worth noticing when you look away from the vase, you I know, love the real that. flower. And so that's very complicated, but it's part of it is just that you make your life special by putting things effort into it or you recognize or treat it as if it is special when you put effort into it. And I think that that's, I think that that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that that's actually a really inspiring way to go about it and look at it. I would also recommend to place yourself into stories that validate that for you as well. So it's not all you doing it yourself. Again, I talk about this as being a Christian and regularly going to church puts you in a story mm, that tells yep. you yeah. that your life is romantic. And so you're not having to do all the work to romanticize your life yourself. Yeah, there's a community, there's a, a philosophy, there is a worldview that's doing that for you. And so I would say enter into spaces. Again, I advocate for Christianity because it's both beautiful and true. But I would say <laughs> enter into- proselytizing. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's an occupational hazard. Um, but uh, it's- but it is to go into spaces that are going to assist you in that romanticizing yeah, of your life in a way that is true as well as beautiful. So that's that's where yes. I would Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And um Kelia, are there any last thoughts or just a uh uh a I can't oh, no. think of the word. Where's it going? Charge, Where's it going with this? A charge to the listeners to go yeah. romanticize their lives. Yeah. Well, yes, take this as your sign to romanticize your life, but try to do this in a way that is looking at everything that is already present in your life right now, today, this minute, and find contentment in it and find the beauty in it and find joy in what you have right in front of you. And what um, Joseph just last said, your life does matter. You do matter. So treat yourself and your life like it does matter. That's the gospel truth. Amen. Awesome. Now we move on to blesses and curses, where we take a work of art, media, or resource and uh, on our topic and bless, recommend it, i.e. bless it, or diss it, i.e. curse it. So, all right. So, uh, movies, books, such on romanticizing your life. Um, Kelia, uh, what have you got for us? Or do you want to go last? I don't know. What was, uh, <laughs> dealer's choice. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I can go first because I definitely do have a bless. I struggled a little bit with curses just because I feel like there have been some repeats of cursable things on this show. But Don't look I, at me. I, <laughs> I mean, both of you, but I understand it. Some things are just worth it. But I'm going to go ahead and bless a book called The Little Way of St. Therese of Lisieux. And I'm going to read a quote from it just to give you a little taste of, of what this book is like. So it says, Miss no single opportunity of making some small sacrifice, here by a smiling look, there by a kindly word, always doing the smallest right and doing it all for love. So if you are wanting to begin the journey of romanticizing your life and seeing it as the little things that you can do every day, the little choices that you can make every single day, I think this book is such a wonderful starting place for you it's just it's all about how even the very very smallest actions can um, glorify god and how nothing we do is wasted everything we do matters so that is my bless. it's a great book and if, if i'm remembering right 
I get the two St. Therese's mixed up, but I believe this was the St. Therese who it's interesting. You look at all these saints lives and some of them, you know, defeat dragons or get martyred in a war or, you know, whatever it might be. And what's, what's interesting about her is she lived a very normal life. She lived in a little convent. She swept the floors daily. She even talks about it. She talks about doing chores in the book. Um, she made meals. Um, she didn't, you know, uh, you know, face a dragon or conquer a country, but her book went on to inspire probably literally hundreds of millions of people because she was able to see the purpose in every, the purpose and beauty in every action she did. So it's a, it's a fantastic book. That's yeah. a great plus. Yeah. What I got goosebumps. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a little worried to curse anything because I just feel like we've done it so many times, but um, I, I could curse I like the could, the non-committal. <laughs> She's so kind. She's such a. <laughs> I should, there are a few different directions I could take this. I could do like a blanket curse of, and here's the thing: I did enjoy many things about La La Land. What I will say, <laughs> I enjoyed so many things about it. Really, I did. What I will say is that it does kind of. Um, it did kind of live into one of the things that we talked about, which is that I will only be happy when issue. So I think that was the main issue that I had with it was like in order to get her happy lives, in order to achieve her dreams, she had to sacrifice a lot of really beautiful things that I feel like she could have. Kept. Beautiful, real things. Beautiful, yeah. real things that she had right in front of her. And so I think that was my my main issue with it. So. Yeah. Yeah, poor, that's, that's poor La La Land. It's a light curse because there are still fun things in there. It's just, <laughs> I know it's again, Damien yeah. Chazelle, I will be in any of your movies. Please, please. In fact, <laughs> not I will. Please put me in one of your movies. <laughs> I do want somebody, uh, one of our fans, to make a tally of like what movies or things have the most curses and blesses. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But I will totally be, and I enjoyed the dancing, singing, always love. Ryan and Emma, but yeah, I yes, agree. Yes, I, I agree. I think the directing is so much fun. The acting is so much fun. The design is so much fun. Damien, it's just that. Damien Chazelle is one of the best technical directors working today in the sense like his camera work is great. Aesthetics, production yes. design is it, it, one of the best that's, that's done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it sometimes, sometimes his third acts drive me up the wall, though. <laughs> um, well, it was hard for me to sit there and be like, wait, we followed them falling in love this whole story. Now we're supposed to like be glad that they like didn't end up together. But because because they got because they got their dreams, Nathan, because okay. we know that two actors have never, you know, uh, married each other and had successful careers in Hollywood. Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's in the it's same city, it would have been impossible. And I wish someone had told us that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, yes. Love you, Damien Giselle. Sorry, La La Land is definitely our, our one of our top curses in this podcast. Um, a light yes. curse, remember. It's, it's a light, light curse. curse. Light, yes, non-committal curse. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yes, uh, so Nathan, how about yourself? What are you blessing and cursing today? No, man, we're, we are in a new year and I have zero new blesses or curses. <laughs> I am trying so hard to think, you know, I used to love the show called Scrubs and it was, um, which, which I think is a really, really great show in some of it, particularly the first few seasons. Uh, and it's a, about a young guy who's this idealist about what it's going to be like to be saving lives and a doctor. And, and much of the show takes place in his mind, in this kind of mm. hyper-reality, what he expects life to be like because he wants his life to be meaningful mm. and uh, and cool. And so he has these idealized images and they're little, they're little cutaways of mm. what he envisions life should be should look like, should be. Um, and what he keeps on finding is that there's actually 
that his fantasies are distracting him from the real beauty that already exists in the friendships, um, in the the drama, in the purpose that already exists. Maybe not in the fantasical aesthetic that he has in his head, but in more of a real and even more deeply beautiful way. So I I'm I love Scrubs. I don't think I've ever mentioned that on the no, show. No, I don't before. think so. This is a first for Scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. And um part and do you know what this is i'm gonna curse like one of my favorite shows um <laughs> i've blessed it elsewhere um uh maybe i won't curse it maybe i should bless it but uh how we met your mother i think <laughs> does endorse um you know, particularly ted the lead character mm-hmm. and the curse slash bless will entirely depend on if you think that they were using ted as a lesson or if they were using ted as a like a lesson to be learned from his bad behavior sure, yeah. Or if they were endorsing his behavior, and and you can debate about that, but if we're going with they were endorsing his behavior, and I just need to find the one, I think that his romanticization of who the perfect person would would be, and we'll talk more about this in upcoming episodes, by the way, um, but I think his idea of romanticizing your life actually got in the way, again, of him um, having... Uh, and seeing the beauty already in his life. And listen, his life was one we wanted to watch every single week, every single episode. And so he, the main character, couldn't even see that, which is really, really interesting. Um, it was constantly discontent because he wanted a different life. The, the problem so, with, um, the, the problem with uh, living your life as if you're the main character is that you do make it all about you. That's good. You yeah. So <laughs> I just cursed something I actually love. Yes. <laughs> I, I love how many mother, um, but I will say that element of it. I, I I've seen a lot of, I've met a lot of Ted's oh. in my life, and and I've been a Ted in my mm. life, um, and I think it can be a dangerous thing. Uh, that particular practice of romanticization, I think, can be um, hindrance, uh, hindrance in people's lives, uh, and it has been in mine. So yeah, I'll. I'll Maybe forget this. I'll bless how I met mother. I'll curse Ted. Just the character Ted. (laughs) That's okay. I'm much more comfortable with us cursing fictional characters than real people. (laughs) Yeah, they can't get too mad. (laughs) Um, Cool. All right. Sounds great. Uh, So my bless, I've got a couple of blesses and a curse. Um, My, uh, there's a couple of movies that are pretty similar to each other and do similar things. Um, It's, uh, oh, Big Fish and The Fall. And they're both about- they're both about adults who are trying to tell children about their lives, um, but in, so that the children can understand, or well, actually father and son, the son's an adult, but he's, but uh, they are telling a romanticized version of their story. And yeah. it's, it's very enchanted. It's got very, you know, fantastical, fantasical events in it, but there's a truth in there that they're trying to get across. They feel like the best way for them to get across is, through a more romantic telling of it. And I think that there is a very beautiful way of showing how um, telling your story in a romantic lens gets at sort of the 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 deeper romantic truths about your life that you're trying to communicate. And in Big Fish even has the son and father kind of have the conflict about like, why can't you tell me a story that's real instead mm. of one that's fantasy? And the father essentially, because this, this gets at the true, more truth about how I experienced it. So there's, I think that, if you're looking for sort of a, a a a positive take on what this actually looks like in a way of communicating truth through a romantic view of your life, those are I think deeply like you know uh, makes a grown man cry movie movies. Uh, yeah, they're so, great. Yeah, so definitely it's, it's probably one of my favorite Tim Burton movies, Big Fish. So it's definitely um, so yeah, definitely I have to watch it this year. It's been like a decade and a half. No, it's probably been like two decades because I'm old. So I'm gonna have to watch that this year. 
Nice. Yeah. Tell me when you do, because it, it's, it's really, really solid. Um, then, uh, a curse. I always, I always like it when I see movies that, that I can curse and bring on to the podcast because yeah. I'm always running out of those curses <laughs> uh, and those blesses. But um, yes, yeah, so I'm actually going to curse what's going to, I know going to make people mad at me because it's going to be going really big at the Oscars is Poor Things. Oh, which, yes. I know, Emma I know. today. Emma I know. Stone nothing, just getting all the hate. I against Emma Stone. <laughs> but none of it her. is Emma Stone's fault. No, Emma Stone. <laughs> the actors in, uh, in, in Poor Things did a great job. And again, it's got a stacked cast with Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo and Austin. And, and Emma Stone does a great job. But it does basically say, have a lead character whose entire thing is, if I don't get whatever I want and people let me do whatever I want, then... Um, they're bad people, you know, right. and mm. it does, it, they, it gives a romantic view as a, of, you know, having main character energy, as they say, or saying that my life is about me having the most, you know, uh, self-centeredly fulfilling life possible and retrospectively, well, yeah. basically making everybody around me have to cater to my needs or yes, I or discard them. <laughs> Nathan, we've talked am, about this. I'm aspiring to this. Okay, sounds good so far. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that, and and what's really disturbing to me is that so many people I see and who I, I some of them whom I respect, watch this movie and they don't see the problems with it. Really? They actually see her, and you talk about Ted, her as a aspirational, positive role mm. model character. Yeah. And yeah. and that I think is a is, is a deep shows a deeply problematic place in our society where that that is a seen uh in that way and, and will be deeply harmful. So that's my curse for poor things. And yes, you can send us all the emails. It's fine. Um but yeah. We'll all get right. a strongly worded letter from Emma Stone after this episode. <laughs> yeah. And we'll deserve it. I think she's a really devoted listener yeah <laughs> exactly hey, we, i we would assume. We assume. <laughs> yeah i would hey i will take any amount of hate mail from celebrities uh yeah. I... <laughs> anyway well, this has been great so much fun again it's so much fun when you're on on kelia uh and uh so if uh if people want to get in touch with you and uh, find your contents and uh then uh where can they go where where do you and recommend people go yeah. And also, where can they get the new journal? Yeah. Okay. So first, if you just want to get in contact with me, you can search my name on any of the socials and reach out. Um, check out Wallflower Journal. That is my online women's magazine for the woman who desires to deepen her inner world. I also have a podcast called Dear Wallflower, where uh, I read a letter from a listener every week. And I will often invite someone on the show and we will talk through the issues that are facing women today. And then uh, as far as the actual Wallflower Journal goes, you can get that anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon is a really uh, quite popular one. And basically it is a guided journal, 100-day guided journal that asks, well, first it starts with a, an inspiring quote from either a literary uh, character or an author or philosopher and um, then it follows up with an introspective and probing question that allows the journaler to really um, deepen her inner world and uh, really delve deeply into the the uh, different closets of her mind. And so that Ooh, is the goal with that journal. <laughs> so yeah, get that anywhere books are sold. Amazon is is probably the the most uh, 
most common the fastest one. 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give Bezos a couple bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just stick up, you know, yeah, help help out small businesses. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> help the little guys. Yes. He uh, wants another newspaper. <laughs> exactly. He wants to go to space again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Nathan, um, if people want to get in touch with uh us are, are, you know, our overthinkers be involved in that or get in touch with you. You know, want to hire you for something. Uh, Damien Chazelle wants to put you in his next movie. Where where should Damien go? All right. Well, first, uh, Emma Stone, um, you can check out our website and send us all of your love, though we assume it will be hate mail at the overthinkers journal dot world. You can also find out more about the people who have just come at you ruthlessly today. So we do apologize in advance, uh, but go ahead and send that uh, love or probably hate mail at the overthinkersjournal.world. If you want to join our online group on Facebook, head over to the Overthinkers on Facebook, uh, give us a request. We will probably let you in. I mean, there's a little bit of a gauntlet. Uh, by that, I mean, there's no gauntlet. So come on over, we want you among our ranks. If uh, Damien Chazelle, you would like to get in touch with me to hire me for a movie, which I can't imagine why you wouldn't, um, <laughs> you can go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials. Awesome. Uh, is that it? Yeah, yeah that's that, it. That, you that's got it for me. Got it. Okay, okay, good. I did. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, you can also find me e on any of the socials. You can also uh, go to uh, my website, josephholmstudios.com, and you can find my regular film criticism where I will offend you even more of your sensibilities with all your favorite films uh, uh, at uh, religionunplugged.com. Uh, well, thank you again, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.